0: Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to the final episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast for 2023. This year has seen plenty of growth and innovation in HR technology, with Gartner reporting earlier this year that 46% of HR leaders had cited HR technology as their top priority for investment. This mirrored research by Unleash, which found that 70% of companies said that they would either increase or maintain their investment in HR technology throughout 2023. Technology can streamline HR processes, improve candidate and employee experience, help tackle bias, and enable the collection and analysis of important people data that provide advanced insights into a company's workforce. However, despite the immense benefits that these tools can have, research by Deloitte found that over 40% of HR tech implementations fail within the first two years. So today we are going to explore why HR tech can fail to deliver, and what we can do as HR and people analytics leaders to ensure a higher percentage of success. Joining me as our HR tech guru for the day is Heba Youssef, the chief people officer at Workweek and the founder of the very popular newsletter, I Hate It Here. Heba has some fascinating insights on the world of HR tech and as a chief people officer herself, is able to provide some astute guidance on ways to deliver a higher success rate of HR tech implementation. So. Without further ado, let's kick things off with a brief introduction from the lady herself, Heba Youssef. Heba, thanks for appearing on the show. Please, could you start by telling us a little bit about your career journey to becoming Chief People Officer at Workweek and also a little bit about um, I Hate It Here?
1: Well, it's it's a good story, so I hope I delight everybody with this. I'm so honored to be here, um, and I can't wait to talk a little bit about my career journey in HR. So like many HR people, I never wanted to be in HR. I never thought this would be the journey for me, but I ended up on the path. Instead of going into product management, I went on the HR path, which I frequently say people are now my product which is probably a weird thing to say now that I'm saying it out loud. But I started off thinking that I was going to go work at a tech company to run product management, and I took a a segue into learning and development, where I led a global learning team for three years, traveled the world, trained um, over, I think, like 1,000 employees by the time I left, and it was a 2,000-person company globally. Um, From there, I went to work at a media startup. I am what I call a startup queen. I have done four startups And they always are a little bit chaotic when you're in HR. And so I did that for uh, two years and then went on to be a head of people at a fintech company and then ended up at Workweek. And Workweek is a very interesting story because the CEO, Adam Ryan, reached out to me about six months into my previous role. And he said, hey, I'm starting a company. I don't have a name. I don't have a role. But I think you'd be great at it. I was like, what? You know nothing about me. How would I be great at this role? Um, And we ended up chatting for a little bit. And I said, honestly, I'm not your person right now. I'm six months into another journey. I need to see that through. A few months later, I noticed that one of my favorite newsletters that I had been reading about FinTech had been purchased by Workweek. And so I reached back out just to catch up to see how things were going. And that catch up ended up being scheduled for 15 minutes, lasting an hour and 45 minutes. And by the end of it, they said, we would do anything. We want you to come work here, but we also want you to write a newsletter. And I remember at the time thinking, I've never written anything. Why would you want me to write a newsletter? And they said, your passion and enthusiasm for HR just shines through. And we think if you could write a newsletter the way you talk to us about HR, it would resonate with a lot of HR people. And so I went on accepting the role and in September of last year of 2022, we launched I Hate It Here, um, which the name is inspired by the worst fear HR people might have that their employees truly do hate it there. And I think the feeling a lot of HR people have some days where we think we are in charge of everything, we're managing everyone's emotions, we're dealing with so much that maybe we hate it here too. So that launched last year, and we've crossed over 100,000 subscribers. Wow. Um, I've launched like a podcast, a live event series. I've done live trainings. I've keynoted. It's been quite the journey for the last year.
0: Well, we'll definitely get all the links to that as as we wrap up at the end. and We'll put those in the show notes for, for people as well. You mentioned you've been in four startups. It can be quite chaotic. So presumably, a lot of the time, you're effectively setting HR up in those organizations.
1: Yep. The first organization I wasn't in HR, two, three, and four, I was in HR. Um, and it is, you get there and it's, there's no handbook. There are no policies. Nobody has a concept of what HR actually is. Everybody thinks HR is one thing and it's really another. Um, it's so funny. The last two startups I joined, when I said, when they were like, oh, this is Hiba, she's joining for HR, somebody instantly said, oh, HR's here. We can't have any more fun. <laughs> I remember thinking, like, but I'm a lot of fun. Like, why Why would you think I'm not fun? But that's what a lot of people kind of think about when they think of HR, that it's policies, procedures, I can't do the things I want to do anymore. And the reality is, we as HR leaders just want to empower all the employees to do what they've always done and do great work. We're not there to hold anybody back. I mean, we're there to stop you from doing horrible things to employees, but we're not there to stop the fun if the fun is reasonable and safe. So it's... It's been interesting. I think I have a lot of white hairs that you can't see because I've worked at so many startups at this point that every time some I get in, just nothing surprises me anymore. I'm like, oh, we don't have a policy for that. Of course not. We don't know how we define a promotion. Of course not. We don't have salary bans. We don't have any sort of equity. So it's been always fun for me because I love that beginning part.
0: Mm. So it's different
1: every day. Every day. Oh man, I can't if someone asks me what my typical day is and I say I wake up at nine AM, I think it's one thing, and by ten PM my day has entirely shifted.
0: We've got a lot of HR professionals listening, maybe prospective chief people officers. If you had to say to them one piece of guidance you'd offer to them, if they were starting a you know, starting HR in a in a in a startup, what would it what would it be?
1: I think get really good at prioritizing everybody else thinks something is urgent that is not really probably urgent. And our instincts are, I do think, some of the best out there because we've seen it so many times. And so I think get really good at prioritizing what is necessary to make the business run today, tomorrow, three months, six months down the line, and never let somebody tell you what the priorities are.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, it's a great piece of guidance. I think it probably applies to Small companies, to be perfectly honest, a lot of HR is about prioritising because there's so many things you can do, do the stuff that's going to have the biggest impact on the business and and on the workforce, frankly, as well. So they're uh, yeah, really, really good. So, Heather, on your weekly newsletter, and I'll say it again, I hate it here, <laughs> uh, you recently published an article on, on HR tech stacks. Um, in your view, why is the adoption for HR tech so important for HR professionals?
1: HR, so this whole quarter I've been writing about HR tech, which is really fun for me because I am a tech nerd. Like I love new products. I love exploring them. I love looking at like what, how are we going to move HR forward? And so HR tech stacks to me are fascinating because if you ask your employees, when was the last time you logged into the HR system, a lot of them would say, oh, I just like logged in to put PTO in or I just needed to look at this calendar. And it's never that they're incentivized or want to log in. It's almost like they're forced to. By HR, And so I think like the thing about your HR tech and and your tech stack is thinking, what is actually going to excite my employees, a tool that they actually want to use? Because if you're always forcing them, and it's always a push pull, you're never going to see real adoption. And I'm also not naive enough to think someone's going to wake up and be like, oh my god, I'm so excited to log into my HR tech system today. No one is going to do that. But it's how do we remove the barrier and really reframe their mind from I'm being forced to do this to, oh, I actually maybe kind of want to do this. I want to give recognition to my manager. I want to celebrate that person's birthday. I want to say welcome to that new employee. It's kind of just a reframe to really see true adoption, I think, in your HR tech. And I
0: know we'll talk about buying technology a little bit late in the conversation, but I suppose a lot of that is as consumers... We use pretty intuitive technology. It's personalized for us with recommendations. It's easy to use. You don't need to look at a big handbook. And a lot of technology we use as consumers is fun. So I suppose it's a bit of an onus on HR technology companies to make their uh, tools slightly more addictive, maybe, I to use a phrase that Jason Averbrook has, has used before, make them addictive. You know, think, Forget about adoption, make them addictive.
1: Yeah, I would love that if an HR tool was more fun. There are some fun ones out there. But a lot of them just feel like they were built with the HR person's experience in mind, never with the how are the employees actually interacting with this. Like, I would probably rather scroll on TikTok, open Instagram, scroll on Twitter than I would to log into my HRIS. And I'm actually the admin. So that should say something about me. <laughs> like, I would, I, and I'm looking forward to the day that I want to. Do the HRIS piece before I want to do a Twitter, a TikTok, or an Instagram. But there's something about socialness that hasn't really been integrated into a lot, a lot of HR tools.
0: So this is another area where your initial um, uh, ambition to get into product management probably helped you when it comes to evaluating HR potential HR technologies that you may use in your in your companies.
1: I am the most annoying person on a demo because I'll say, can you click that? Can you do that? Can it do this? Show me the data. And every single time I think the person on the other side thinks that they're talking to somebody who's just going to randomly buy HR tech. But I usually come with like 10 to 15 system requirements already written across potentially three different users. And people look at me and they're like, why do you do this? And I, I – Said so, like I started my career in tech. Like I learned to write really good user stories, requirements. I learned to talk to developers, and so when I brought that into HR, I think about the technology in the same way. I'm like very critical, and it's very hard to like get a gold star in my book of tech.
0: Yeah, and it's about as you said. It, some of these systems are designed for HR people, and they should be designed with the employee at the center, just as we would design a, a you know commercial product with the with the consumer at the center.
1: Absolutely. I want to make work fun. Like a lot of things about HR are very regulated by the laws. And so like we have to do things regardless. Like we have to verify an I-9 in the States. But it's how do we actually take that and make that a fun experience for somebody rather than, oh, I'm just filling out paperwork or, oh, I just have to do my review or, oh, I have to submit my PTO. I'm interested to see where the technology goes in the next five to 10 years when we really think consumer first.
0: Yeah, I think we definitely need to go along that way. And and given the the current situation that you've painted, Heather, you know, if we reference to a a recent survey by Deloitte, over 42% of organizations surveyed as part of that report um, said that their HR tech implementations fail within the first two years. And some of these technologies are quite expensive. You know, as someone who lives and and breathes HR, why do you think HR implementations tend to fail?
1: A lot of times I think HR leaders get buy-in from whoever they report to potentially so I report to our CEO but I also work closely with like finance and so in order for me to get buy-in for a tool I have to get my CEO and my finance people on board to make the investment I think a lot of times HR people forget that there is another group you need buy-in from and it's your employees and they're not just going to trust you to say hey this we rolled out this really cool system it's going to be so fun for you they want to feel like they have a say And so something that I've been talking to a lot of HR people about is, why don't you bring employees to the demo? Why don't you say, okay, I've already demoed this product. I've asked all my HR requirements. Let's bring the employees in and make them feel like they have a voice because I think that's ultimately why so much HR tech adoption fails is you never ask the employees what they want. And the reality is we don't have to do what the employees want, but if they feel like they can voice an opinion – I feel like the the journey to buy-in is just so much easier. And if you get them to love the tool before you even roll it out, they're going to go tell their friends who are going to tell their friends. It's going to grassroots grow an affinity for this product. And the story is going to be, I loved it and I got to tell HR why I loved it. And so I think like we think a lot one, one way, like I need to get buy-in from the powers that be. And we don't ever stop to think I need to get buy-in from these employees who are going to be using it every day.
0: This episode is sponsored by HiBob. Global companies often have dozens of HR tech apps that very few people use. HiBob's vision was to create an HGM suite that everyone working at a global company actually wants to use. In fact, it's not unusual for 70 to 80% of employees to connect to Bob on a regular basis. HR professionals use Bob for greater oversight and visibility of the business. Managers use Bob for insights and resources to lead people more effectively. Employees use Bob for tools and information to connect, be productive, and grow. Finance uses Bob for business information and analysis, and IT uses it for orderly task management and accessing people data. Go to HiBob.com, that's H-I-B-O-B.com, and meet Bob, the modern HR platform that offers HCM for everyone. What strategies have you found, other than getting employees involved, obviously, what other strategies have you found most effective for encouraging employee buy-in and and engagement with, with new HR technologies?
1: Always asking their feedback. And I don't think feedback is a survey that you always have to do. You could do a listening tour. You could have the managers ask. You could have other people on your team deployed to different departments to ask. I think getting their feedback is really important. And I think a lot of times employees don't feel heard. And so to solve that problem, you just have to ask them. And it it takes asking them more than once. Like they're not instantly going to open up. I just think the, the inherent distrust there is with employees towards HR makes them hesitate when they need to tell you something. And so I think if you can do your best to build a trust with them and say, I, I honestly want your feedback, I want your opinion, and that means the second you roll it out, maybe at the three month mark, maybe six month, even at your renewal, asking for feedback about the tools they're using and why goes a long way, in my opinion. I just think like there's something to be said about your employees trusting you. And if they're coming to you with feedback, you have to listen.
0: And if you've done any work in the past around sort of understanding different personas of employees and how they might use the tool slightly differently at all,
1: Yeah, when I write my requirements, I actually write usually for three groups. I say like as a manager, I need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. As an employee, I need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And then it's always as an executive, I need to be able to see my skip level, just drill down into my department. I'm always thinking about those different personas because what everybody wants out of the system is different. And what everybody needs is also different. And so being able to tackle those like three main groups, maybe you have four, ABF5, being able to get feedback from every persona out there is super important.
0: Now, that's a really good point. And as you said, again, it talks to that adoption process because employees use it, but managers don't. And mm-hmm. that's not good. And if oh, employees yeah. and managers use it, but leaders aren't looking at it, then that's probably not very helpful either. So.
1: You said managers and it like made something go in my brain, but I was just thinking um, your managers also bringing them on board earlier, the better, because they're the people who are really driving the behaviors and impacting your employees day to day. I read this amazing stat somewhere. I need to go reference it, but that the manager has, your manager has more of an impact on your mental health than your partner. So you're at home with this person all day long. And somehow your manager who you're at work with all day long has a bigger impact on your life. And so if I'm thinking about tech and process and adoptions, an area if you just go straight for managers and you also get their buy-in, you also explain to them it's part of their job to like help you get adoption on the system, I think then you'll see more employees adopting the tech and following the processes as well.
0: Yeah, and I think we've seen increasingly like, some of the sort of more sophisticated HR technology that's coming out, it, it's its actually giving insights to managers about maybe how their behaviors or you may drive performance thing or an engagement let's say more otherwise, um, and giving them tips around, you know, you haven't had a one-to-one uh, with Heber for a while. You might want to book a one-to-one with Heber. You know, our data tells us that, you know, manager one-to-ones are very important in terms of engagement, you know, retention, et cetera, et cetera.
1: And I think some managers are scared of that, by the way. They're scared of being told they're like, not doing well, and so then they avoid. What happens is like a lot of people are scared to give feedback, so they avoid. And so finding a system or a tool that takes away that fear from the manager and truly says, we're trying to make you better. We're actually trying to help you because your job is so overwhelming. Like you have to coach all these people. You have to manage performance. You also are leading work. Maybe you own a project. That can be very overwhelming. So we got this tool and this system to actually help you do your job better.
0: Yeah, and, and, and it's hard being a manager. And it's arguably harder to be a manager now than it's ever been. You've got so many things coming at you, you've got the kind of hybrid element as well. So sometimes you're managing people in front of you, sometimes you're managing a lot of remote people, maybe you distributed different geographies as well. Yeah, it's just and, and there's lots of demands from employees who expect you know, expect more at work now, employee expectations got to, and leaders. So you are the you're the meat the, you're the meat in the sandwich to, to It's an
1: impossible you know. job. It feels like an impossible job sometimes for managers. And to add in a system that could potentially expose how, good, how bad they're doing at the job can be really scary. And so I think framing it to managers as we actually got a tool to help you, I think changes the conversation completely. It then goes from, oh, they're not trying to get me to, oh, they're actually trying to make me better and make my job easier, this impossible job I have.
0: Let's move to another stakeholder you know, leadership buy-in. You know, as HR professionals, and we understand um the ROI for buying a well, mostly understand the ROI for buying an HR technology tool. However, more than more than often getting funding for the tool is often met with a resistance from the C suite. You know, how can HR professionals go about gaining buy in for their desired tool from from the C suite? And maybe Maybe we could expand that conversation and talk about some of the other stakeholders that we need to get on the side as well.
1: Yeah, I think the really interesting thing about HR is every other, I've observed this, and maybe people listening have also observed this. It feels like every other department asks for a budget for something and nobody asks them why. But when it comes to HR and you're like, I want this HRIS, the first question everyone asks is why. And everyone wants to give you an opinion on it. And some days I'm like, you don't ask our sales team why they need Salesforce to sell. Why would you ask me why I need an HRIS to help effectively manage our employee experience? And so we're already starting, I feel like, a lot of HR people from a deficit where every other organization is given the tools department, the tools they need to be successful. And oftentimes I feel like HR leaders are told, slash your budget. You already manage the most expensive part of the budget, which is headcount. So we can't give you more. But I think that is so short-sighted because at the end of the day, how productive and successful your company is going to be comes down to your employees. And if you give them the tech they need to be successful and, on the flip side, give your HR team the tech they need to spot potential retention issues, to spot performance issues ahead of time, you become even better as an organization. And so I think like I can't talk about getting buy-in without even acknowledging that like everybody else seems to get it and we seem to be the last people who get approved. The second piece of that buy-in is always connecting it to the why. So if you have a CEO who's very business-oriented, like they are thinking about the livelihood of the business because it is very much their company, their founder, it's their, their CEO, I think connecting back the why you need the tool to how you can help the business perform is the most important thing you could do. And I don't think that's truly revolutionary, but I think a lot of HR people forget to say, they forget to say, I need this tool, not just because my life is going to be easier, but because I'm going to be able to spot potential retention issues before an employee chooses to leave. Oh, and by the way, if that employee chooses to leave on average, it actually costs me three to four times their salary to replace them. And so I think when HR becomes the more data-minded organization deeply aligned with finance about actual cost to the business, I find the buy-in then is a lot easier because you have a CEO that says, oh, she has thought about all of these things and we're going to actually save money. And I think the other part of buy-in that's incredibly hard is you don't instantly see the impact of an HR software. So you don't implement a tool and then all of a sudden tomorrow everyone's engaged That's completely unrealistic. And so I think setting those expectations correctly, like I'm going to implement this system in three months, here's a milestone we're going to meet. In six months, here's a milestone. In 12 months, I'm actually hoping our retention goes up and our engagement goes up. And here's how I'm going to do that using this system. But I think setting the stage very clearly that this is a thing that is going to take potentially six months to even see the needle move a little bit then makes the, the stakeholders more rational about the decision they're making and better informed.
0: And I'm guessing some of the other stakeholders that you need to work with, particularly in the startup, obviously your, your technology and IT team, maybe legal. Uh, I don't know if you could talk to maybe those stakeholders or maybe other stakeholders that you would, you would work with actively on this.
1: I think there are always like when I start any project, the first column I always have is key stakeholders. It's like, who do I need final sign off from? That's like step one. Step two is like, who do I need everyone's opinion on it? And that's where like legal, IT, potentially or engineering, like there's a lot of people that you have to think through getting their buy in on it. And legal is a big one, always making sure that they understand what we're doing with the, da- the data in the system, like they need who has access to it. What are we going to do? What are we liable for? That's really important. Your IT team, making sure that you can integrate it in a way that's like easy and simple. Is there SSO? Like are you moving it into another system? Does it integrate with that system? How do the APIs work together? So thinking through that as well, super important. But I think from there, like always having your list of who is my second tier people to get all of their thoughts and feedback on is really important. And that's where people like legal, like IT, even your managers come into play because you're going to want their opinions on, is this feasible? And I think as HR people, sometimes we think like we know everything. Like we've used this tool so intensely, like we can anticipate everyone's feedback and movement. And it's so short-sighted because the rest of the teams are going to expose things that might never cross my mind.
0: No, no, really good. And we've already already talked about employees as stakeholders as well. And I guess one other one would be, um, depending on the size of your organization, if you have one, a a procurement department, you know, being close with your procurement partner in terms of if we're going to go out with an RFP, making sure you get the specifications right, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. At a startup, less people involved. Totally. When you're at a bigger organization, I've also gone through that process of securing software at a bigger organization, and there are more hoops to jump through. Like at this point at a startup, I get to say, I want this software, and I maybe get, have to ask like four people what they think. At bigger organizations, you're looking at a longer time horizon. And I also think the one important group of people who I always stay super close to is our finance team. I will buddy up to any finance department because they are also going to tell me, how does this tool scale? Like I can do the simple math, but they're going to be the ones who tell me if we add 50 people to our headcount next year, our software also goes up. And that's another thing I think a lot of people don't think about. They'll implement a costly software, find themselves rapidly scaling and then saying, oh, wow, this I can't manage this budget anymore. It's too much.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap. Deepen your knowledge and press play on your career. I'd read a a study by Mercer a couple of weeks ago and it was asking chief people officers what they wish they'd known before they assumed their role. And I think the highest was 41% wish they'd know more about people data and analytics. So um definitely there's definitely that, that change coming on and, and obviously you're passionate about data which is which is good to hear um and you've spoken and written about the challenges of fragmented data in hr systems you know how does this fragmentation affect hr operations and and what are some of the best practices for integrating and managing data across different platforms because let's be honest sometimes you have a learning platform sometimes you have a recruiting platform other times you have an HRIS. how do how do you kind of work all those different systems to get the information that you need out to support decisions you know and and help leaders um you know use data to make decisions
1: the fragmented system is truly what i call um hell because that means you're like pulling town data and you're trying to like and it's moment in time data too that really bothers me like you're the second you pull that data down or you analyze it the next day it's outdated unless you have like an automated report Which means like then you're pulling down data from learning. You're pulling down data from recruiting. You're pulling down data maybe from your HRIS. You're building this beautiful report to give you insights. And the second you're done building it, it's outdated. And so that is just the part that drives me the most insane. And it's the reality a lot of HR people are in. I read a report recently. I said HR people are using anywhere up to 25 tools. And if those tools don't all talk to each other somehow, then you're spending a lot of your time trying to do something that could be done for you if you just stayed in one or two systems that talk to each other. And so that's the other thing. Like, I think integrations now are huge, where, like, greenhouse integrates with your HRIS, And that way, then the data is in one place, and you can look at a report. I think your worst case scenario is when the data is in several systems, you're pulling down that manual data, you're doing your blending, and then you're looking at a report that is obsolete in five minutes. And so I think like when you're thinking about tools that you want and why, always looking at what do they integrate with, because if they can integrate with your HRIS, I'm sure there's a really good reporting functionality there where then you can automate your dashboards so that you're not doing all the data and all the work. And the other interesting thing about data is um, they have shown that doing repetitive tasks actually increases your burnout. And I think about that quite a bit. When you're thinking about what you're doing day-to-day in HR, we do have one of the highest cited burnout percentages across any function and highest job change across, H- um, across LinkedIn of any function. And so I think about data through that lens as well. If HR people are doing this repetitive task, that pulling down the data, doing all the things, running the report, and then the next day they have to do the same thing all over again because their systems aren't integrated, they're only going to burn out faster. And then that work keeps them away from doing the really juicy big strategic work that can change an organization that can push an organization into the future and so coming back to it like finding a way to put your data or to only exist in less systems that talk to each other is much better than spreading yourself across 10 that you then can't actually make any informed decisions about the data
0: yes that's kind of conundrum isn't it when you're selecting technology you know do you go for best of breed or do you go for something that that, that maybe has a you know an hrs that has a recruiting um platform in it the learning platform etc cetera, etc cetera. now it's, it's, it depends because there's no right answer on this is there but it's certainly a consideration that you need to think about as you said about how things are going to integrate together and there isn't a, a there isn't a one system to rule them all probably anyway but but obviously it, the, the more you can minimize the number of technologies you're using, probably the better. And I guess one of the one of the luxuries, if we can call it that, uh, of, of setting HR up in a startup is you kind of got a blank piece of paper to do that.
1: I have one system right now, and I'm going to be very cautious before I implement anything else. And there are things I want to do that that system doesn't do, and I've had to make the decision not to do them for the time being. And I've weighed the pros and cons quite heavily because I'm like, I don't want to introduce mayhem and chaos that will never scale properly for just this tiny little thing I want. Maybe there's a different way to do it. And I I also think like HR tech is moving into that platform model. Like Workday was always a huge platform, but it's interesting seeing the trends with like Rippling and Lattice where both of them started off as one thing and now they're becoming something else. So Lattice just launched its HRIS and they start as a performance management tool and so you're looking at these players in the space, these like up-and-comers, and they're all really trying to spread to be that platform because they have heard from HR people how awful it is to work across 10, 15 systems. And it's you're not getting your investment returned when you're spending your dollars on so many systems because you can't actually transact on any of the data.
0: How do you see AI and machine learning shaping the future of HR functions and, and what should HR professionals keep in mind when integrating AI into their systems?
1: I think a lot of tools are integrating AI for the HR people already. So I think a lot of them already automate and do a lot of a lot of things with AI already. So I think that part is very interesting um, that it's already embedded in a lot of systems. I think if you're an HR person, thinking about how you are going to automate your life will make your life so much better. And so thinking about AI, like, can I automate this communication? Can I automate this onboarding process? Can I automate this offboarding process? Being able to do that then takes off the repetitive tasks off your list, and you're able to then go do the more strategic, fulfilling type of work. But the cost is you just have to be mindful of what AI is capable of and what it isn't capable of. And that, I think, a lot of us don't know enough about AI yet. And I, I foresee that that's going to be a real skill, like automating, working with AI, that like all of us are going to have to learn because it's going to either be embedded in a system or we're going to leverage an outside thing to make it happen.
0: What criteria should HR buyers look out for when selecting HR technology for their business?
1: Such a good question. Um, definitely that it can work in a hybrid or remote environment. So I think the average company right now is still in the hybrid remote world. Um, And if you are hiring globally, you should make sure your system is able to do that. And spoiler alert, not a lot of systems can do that. Not a lot of systems are built to represent a global workforce. And that, I think, is just a really interesting thing. If you're a U.S.-based company, then you're a U.S.-based company. You're not going to go global. But there's talent everywhere. And to think that your employees might want to move and live somewhere else and that you don't have to worry about that is short-sighted. And so I think like one of the things is thinking about, are you a remote, in-person, or hybrid organization? And does your HR tech support that? It's like step one. I also just think the next big thing is usability. Is it when you look at it, do you think this was built in 1998? Or do you think this was built in 2023? And so finding something that's like usable so that your employees are excited to log in and use it is a game changer. And there are HR tools out there that aren't really built with a usability functionality in mind. They're just doing the job and getting it done. But I don't don't think that's how you should think about it. You should think about usability. The other thing is your data. Does your tool, a lot of HRISs, you want the reporting to be one of the best features out there. So I like, Instantly, whenever I, I analyze an HR tool, I'm always looking at, show me your reporting. Show me your out-of-the-box dashboards. Show me how you calculate the KPIs. Show me what kind of findings I can figure out in the system. And that is just a big selling point for me as well.
0: Yeah, and that's that, That's all part of the the business case that you might make to the CEO and the CFO as well because obviously one of the benefits that they can get out of any technology implementation is data. And then what I mean, maybe one other... So I might add to that, it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on these. You know, if you're choosing between different um, technology firms, the ones that are more willing to partner, I guess, is really important, especially if, you, especially if you're making your first steps in, in, you know, as a startup. You know, buying HR technology maybe for the first time.
1: Customization can be a pro and a con because if you over-customize everything, you're probably there are inefficiencies there. But having an HRIS that understands what you are trying to do and is able to be flexible to what you need for your environment is key. I have worked with some systems where they say, oh, we just don't do that. And I have to say, then I can't work with you because my environment is unique and it has this one need. And if I can't get this need met, I can't implement the software. And then I've worked on the flip side with companies that are able to customize. And then it really feels like the system is actually built for your organization rather than you're trying to fit a square in a round peg. Because that's what it can feel like sometimes with HRS is, oh, why are we doing this? This is not a company standard. If if it's not a company standard, why would you do it in the tech? It's like a mismatch of like values then.
0: So to wrap up before we head to the question of the series, what key piece of advice would you give to HR professionals or, or maybe chief people officers like yourself to help them with their future HR tech implementation projects? Oof.
1: I mean, always get the buy-in. We talked about that earlier. Um, make sure that it's usable, that like it's something that would excite your employee to actually use. And then really think about where your organization is going. So don't just buy for the now. Buying for the future is really strategic. And it also can be really hard if you don't know where your organization is going. And so I think starting the exercise of understanding where you headed in the next one to three years could be super powerful in helping you select a tool that's going to be able to grow and scale with you. Because a lot of tools will truly, they'll tell you they're able to do what you want them to do, but don't trust them. Because <laughs> I always ask for a sandbox. I always say, in order for me to buy your tool, I need to like have a sandbox instance where I can play with it so that I can understand if I'm gonna be able to use it. And I think if a, if anyone tells you like, they can't give you a sandbox or they can't help you do that, I would just be weary of what it is they're showing you versus what the tool can actually do.
0: So Heba, we've, we've we've proved to the, the question of the series. So this is the one we're asking every guest on on this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. And it's our last episode before Christmas. So you get to have the final say. So as we approach the end of 2023, what do you think will be the key priorities for HR as we head into 2024?
1: Retention. I think everybody is going to be worried about retaining their employees. And retention is so much more than are, are, are our employees staying? It's how are we supporting and cultivating their growth and development at the organization? Because I think we just went through a massive, a very interesting three years of massive hiring, then we did the layoffs, then people are cutting budgets. I think the thing people are going to be most focused on in 2024 is how do I keep my talent? Because that is talent you have invested in, money, time, and resources. And to replace them, it'll cost three to four times their salary. And so I think every HR leader right now is wondering, what do, what do I have to fix to keep these employees here and happy and engaged.
0: So we may hear, I, I dare to say, it in case we do, the great resignation part two.
1: Part two. I part two. I don't know if people are going to be leaving as much. I think a lot of people are going to stay put until the market settles a little bit. Yeah. But that yeah, staying put can still really hinder your organization. Yes. So you have to if continue to think me. about, yep. How do I enable the people who want to stay or are being forced to stay? How do I still get the best work out of them?
0: So, Heba, for our listeners who'd like to connect with you or follow the work that you're doing at I Hate It Here, how can they get in touch with you, uh, find out more what you're doing at Work Week and subscribe to your newsletter and find out more about your podcast?
1: I love it. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Hibba, H-E-B-B-A, Yusuf, obviously, my name is in this thing. Um, and you can subscribe to I Hate It Here. Honestly, you could just Google I Hate It Here, and it's the first thing that comes up. I have one SEO. It was the highlight of my day when I Googled in. I was number one. But you can Google it and subscribe to the newsletter.
0: And congratulations on reaching 100,000 subscribers in such a short period of time. That's that's very impressive. So uh, Thank
1: you. I'm honored.
0: Well, you've prompted me to go and check it out a little bit more. So I will certainly be doing that over the Christmas holidays. And other than that, Heber, I just want to say a huge thank you for um, sharing your time and, and expertise with listeners. Really enjoyed the conversation.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast.
0: That's all for today's episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you found the discussion insightful and learned something new about delivering successful HR technology implementations. If you did enjoy the episode, please don't forget to hit the subscribe button and leave us a five-star rating on your preferred podcast streaming channel so that we can keep producing the show. For more from us at Insight 222, sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com, where you can get weekly updates on the latest trends in the HR and people analytics space. Thank you for tuning in and for your support throughout the year. The Digital HR Leaders Podcast will be back with some special guests on January the 16th when we will kick off the year by discussing the outlook for people analytics and data-driven HR in 2024. Until then, take care and stay well. I wish you all happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year.